Daily Gazette Company presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Sports Editor, Ken Scott. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me for the Parting Shots Podcast studio in Schenectady, New York. We have another great show for you as we talk about the NFL playoffs. A bit later, I'll preview the NFC Championship game between my Philadelphia Eagles and San Francisco 49ers with San Francisco sports talk show host and Notre Dame Bishop Gibbons high school graduate Damon Bruce. The Buffalo Bills will not be playing in the AFC Championship game after a shocking, uninspired loss to the Cincinnati Bengals on Sunday in that divisional round game in the AFC. To talk about what happened is the Bills reporter for Rochester TV station WHAM, and she is a Saratoga Springs High School graduate. And let's welcome back to the podcast, Jenna Cottrell. Jenna, welcome back. And uh, I know we're towards the end of January with Happy New Year. I hope you had a great holiday. And uh, what exactly happened <laughs> Sunday? Because I'm still waiting for the Bills to show up. Uh, yeah, I think we we all were. You know, I was at that game, and it was, you know, the divisional round. Last year, they lost in the divisional round in Arrowhead against the Chiefs, and that was one of the best football games of all time. Went to overtime, changed the overtime rules. It was incredible. And for everything and how great that game was, this game was an absolute dud against the Bengals. The Bills, it, it, was, it was like you said, it was like they didn't show up at all. They had no energy. It was flat. There was very little execution as well. We talked to the players after the game, Matt Milano, one of their linebackers. They're all pro linebackers saying, we just had no juice in this one. And that is of itself very concerning considering where we were at in the playoffs and what it means. Um, But another disappointing loss for this Bills team. And no matter what way you look at it, it's once again a failure in the playoffs. And we were in Orchard Park this week asking the questions of what is it going to take to get over this hump? Because the Bills, they have all this talent. Is it execution? Do they need to make changes? Because you look at where they're at and where they need to be, and there's a gap. I mean, yeah, two years ago they got to the AFC Championship game, lost to the lost to Kansas City, as you mentioned last year, a game they should have won, some, some poor coaching decision with the uh, kickoff there late in that fourth quarter. But I mean, they they struggled against Miami the week before. So, I mean, was that a telltale sign or a warning sign that maybe the Bills weren't emotionally involved in this, especially with what happened with uh, DeMar Hamlin? I, I think there's a lot of things that play into it. This season, you know, adversity is a part of any NFL season. Of course, teams are going to have to deal with that. But this year, what happened off of the field, first of all, on the field, there were a ton of injuries, which is uncharacteristic for Bills teams. Micah Hyde, their starting safety, went down and needed neck surgery earlier on in the year. Uh, players like Vaughn Miller, of course, he tore his ACL. Guys were coming back from injury. But when you talk about their defense and two huge starters to that team, both of those guys, those veteran presences going down. I mean, that was that that was obviously a consequential. And then you look at just what happened off of the field. You know, uh, this past off season, there was the um, racially motivated shooting at a grocery store in Buffalo. Then in training camp, uh, Dawson Knox, the Bills' starting tight end brother suddenly passes away. Then the weather getting involved. There was a deadly blizzard in Orchard Park, the Buffalo area. And then you mentioned what happened to DeMar Hamlin. And these are not excuses, but I think these are reasons why like this season really took a toll. But that being said, there were cracks and flaws in this team that you could see coming. And it's interesting because I wasn't 
shocked that the season ended in the divisional round. I was just kind of shocked and surprised at how little effort there seemed to be out there. Um, but I think this team was exhausted. Now, that being said, you have to be playing your best football down the stretch. We all talk about it. You got to be peaking at the right time. And if you look at the last month and a half of this Bills team, they were winning, but it was not pretty. It was Josh Allen trying to find a way or them just being able to hang in games, the defense making one more stop, that type of thing. So there's been evidence along the way that this team was not either not set up right or it wasn't being coached right. And those are the questions moving forward because this year, like, the Bills are – the salary cap, while we like to talk about it not being real and you can add whatever players you want to – the salary cap is malleable, but the Bills right now and where they stand, they have a lot of decisions to make about how they improve their roster because that's another piece that is going to have to happen to help them get where they want to go. I mean, obviously, at the end of the game, we saw Stefan Diggs I mean, hollering at uh, Josh Allen, hollering at the offensive coordinator or, or the, that was next to the you know, person sitting next to him. He almost stormed out of the uh, stadium right after the game. Yeah. That was not a good look. And what does that what is his status with the team after that? What happened? Yeah, you know, I, it's not a good look. And you know, and I know how all these narratives work. And it's really like, it is kind of the last game kind of sets the tone for the offseason. And to have that, you know, bad luck, essentially, of like Stephon Diggs kind of being frustrated and Josh Allen and all this stuff. Now, we talked to, uh, you know, Josh Allen about it. We've talked to – Stephon Dix has not talked about it. He's tweeted some stuff out on Twitter just saying, like, do you want me to be okay with losing? Nah. And at the same point, I think you – know, Brandon Bean, the Bills general manager, talked yesterday, like, Stephon is a fiery guy, and, you know, that's what you want on your team. And I think that is what they want. Do they wish he was, you know, as a captain, a little bit more – less reactionary? Sure, but I think – Diggs also does have a point. He's your best offensive weapon. You're losing in a playoff game at home. Like, I would be upset, too. I don't know if I would have handled it in the same way. Um, But I don't expect there to be big, long-term issues from what happened. Like, I think it's a situation where it was the heat of the moment type of thing. I would be shocked if Diggs and Allen haven't talked yet, haven't talked about it, haven't cleared the air, that type of thing. But I think it does get at the root of the problem where, like, you know, why wasn't Stephon Diggs more involved in that game plan? I get it. You have other offensive weapons that you can go to. But at the same point, when you're losing at home in a playoff game and that, those other options aren't working, the only player I was totally fine with the Bills forcing the ball to was Stephon Diggs because of what he meant to this team this season, how effective he was, and the numbers that he put up. So. Is it something that I think we'll talk about for the entire offseason? Yes, because that's how it works. But am I am I worried about it? No. I mean, we were just calling DeMar Ham- or excuse me, we were just calling Stephon Diggs a phenomenal teammate a couple weeks ago when he took an Uber in Cincinnati to go check on his teammate DeMar Hamlin. I, I think this is just a guy who is very emotional. He very much lives and breathes in that moment. And uh, I think he would have wanted it back if it, if that makes sense. I think he didn't love, that's my personal observation is that I think he wishes he would have, you know, maybe made different decisions in the moment, but I think it still stands that like he was frustrated and I get why, because I would be too. Who's to blame? I mean, is Sean McDermott to blame? Ken Dorsey to blame uh, for not uh, being more creative with the offense in that game? I think it's honestly, I think it's a lot of things. I think Ken Dorsey is one of those guys that you talk about in Western New York and he is absolutely criticized up and down. Like he is a guy, it's a first year head coach, not 
head coach. He's a first-year offensive coordinator, first-year play caller, and you definitely saw some of those bumps and bruises that come along with being in a first-year spot. Uh, we talk about little to no creativity in this Bills offense. What's interesting is statistically, it was pretty similar to the offense that Brian Dable was running last year in terms of what it looked like in terms of Bills being a top five offense. But if you watch the games, it did not feel like that. I think Dan Orlovsky said it best of ESPN. It's like third and hope Josh Allen does something incredible. And it was a lot of hero ball. And I think that led to why there were so many turnovers because it was all on Josh. And I think there needs to be some honest conversations in Orchard Park about what needs to change. Now, a lot of people, I kind of expected them to move on from Ken Dorsey to try and find another guy. But going to Orchard Park this week, going to the Bills facility and hearing what Sean McDermott and Josh Allen and Brandon Bean had to say and the respect they have for Ken Dorsey. I mean, Brandon Bean even said yesterday, like, you know, he learned a lot in, his, in this year and that'll help him in year two. That to me sounds like he's sticking around. So I, I don't know how much you can glean from that. But at the same point, yeah, I mean, you need to get your guys more involved. You need to show some creativity. You need to have – it was just so predictable. And, and that was the issue. And it was just – they need help, though, too. It's on Brandon Bean as well. Like, he needs – there needs to be secondary receivers. The skill position players, like what are you doing in terms of that? Um, I think you saw that this season. It was Stephon Diggs and just everybody else. Gabe Davis, they wanted him to take a bigger role. That didn't quite work out. They wanted the same from Isaiah McKenzie. I mean, it felt like in general, like the slot position, that wide receiver kind of just went away in the role that they had in the offense. So there are things that need to be changed. And here's the thing. We talked to Brandon Bean yesterday, and he was like, look, I get it. I get the fans are upset. But he's like, you know, you can't do too much. You can't base an entire offseason off of one game. But it's like, all right, well, that game was awful. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. I think there's got to be a balance within that, too, of, like, not overshadowing the fact that it looked like the Bills didn't even want to be there. So it's got to be it's it's got to be some big changes. But Brandon Bean talked about it. He's like, don't expect a Vaughn Miller type of signing with the way things are with cap, which I don't believe any of that because he said that last year. And then he literally went out and signed Vaughn Miller. Wow. Um, but it's going to take more talent or something because they've got to get creative because right now it is not working. And I know it was bad in the Bengals game, but if you look back at the last half of the season, it was not pretty at all. I think the most uh, creative thing Ken Dorsey did all year was destroy the camera and the Dolphins uh, coaches in the early season. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like that, that is like the most memorable thing. And the, here's what's interesting too. Like, we always talk about like winning cures all, like winning hides a lot. And the Bills were winning. I mean, they only lost four games all year. And those games were by, like most regular season games were by eight points. But when it falls apart the way that it does, and you see where the Bengals are, where the Chiefs are, where you need to be, and just the difference, that to me is when alarm bells start going off because it's like that wasn't even a game. The question with Josh Allen and his elbow, is that going to be something that's going to be discussed during the offseason? I mean, he had some problems with it. Is that, is yeah. that an issue? No, so he had uh, an issue with his UCL. It happened against the Jets. You know, we talked to him at the end of the year press conference uh, a couple of days ago. And we asked, you know, do you need surgery, all this stuff? And he's like, no, honestly, guys, like, while it was an issue earlier on, right after I got hurt, like, I was feeling more like myself. He did mention, though, the fact that, like, having that injury kind of changed his uh, mechanics 
And that is something that maybe down the stretch also equated to him, maybe not having as much arm strength or trying to overthrow it or not the ball not coming out as he's used to. Um, but I don't expect that to have any lingering effects. I think right now what he needs to do is like take a beat, take take a second to rest and reflect because there was a lot that went on. And I mentioned a lot earlier on of just off the field stuff too. Um, but I think Josh Allen, to me, like after this game against the Bengals, Look, people are going to say, like, it's Joe Burrow and it's Patrick Mahomes, and then there's a huge drop-off, and it's Josh Allen. It's like, no, I think Allen is on the same level as those guys, absolutely. I just think that he's had to be a hero all season long, and I think that really took a toll on him. And and yesterday, or excuse me, on Sunday, like, he, he couldn't just go to the well and be a hero again. Like, his team at other points let him down as well. He didn't play fantastic either. I'm not saying he played amazing, but um, I don't pin that loss all on Josh Allen. Well, the Bills mean they had been considered a Super Bowl favorite this year along with Kansas City. But with this loss and the emergence of the Bengals and Joe Burrow, I mean, do the Bills – are the Bills – is the Bills one of closing at this point? I don't think it's closing. I, I will say, like, I think your window – it's not as simple as saying your window is always open when you have Josh Allen. But, like, kind of. <laughs> like, I feel like when you have a talent like him, yeah. But here's what's, where it gets interesting is, like, the Bills were favorites in every game they played in this past season. And I think that 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 got old. Like, I think, you know, it's like, hey, guys, we got to get up for this game. Like, I think this Bills team has always historically done well under Sean McDermott when they're the underdog. They have outperformed when they've been counted out against. And I think it's kind of a rallying cry. And to see, again, like, they're not going to be favorites against some of these other teams coming up this season. I think it's a very motivating thing. I asked Isaiah McKenzie, one of the Bills receivers, like, on the spectrum, I'm, I was like, I'm sure you're feeling a lot of emotions. On the spectrum, I'm, like, discouraged, motivated. Where do you fall? And he's like, this team is motivated. And I think that by the way things ended, they have to be because they were not good enough. Um, but that being said, yeah, other teams are really great. You can't just rely on like we looked at this roster in September. We're like, oh my gosh, look at the depth, look at the talent, all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, that didn't work out how we thought it would. This team was not, you know, you, you talk about other teams. I mean, you look at the Bengals, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, Hayden Hurt. Like, they have a lot of dudes out there. And I think if you're asked fans outside of Buffalo, who are the guys on the Bills, you'd be like, well, it's it's Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, and Vaughn Miller. And it's like, I think you need more high-end talent to get the job done. Because right now where you're standing, it hasn't worked. Well, I know the Bills, when they go to Philadelphia, my hometown next year, they will not be favored, so... <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm now I'm now rooting for your Eagles. I uh, my my boss is a big Eagles fan. I'm not just doing that to get in his good graces. Um, I, I promise. But I have a lot of friends that are Philly fans. So yeah, go Birds, yeah. go Birds yeah. is what I'm saying yeah. this weekend. Uh, the Demar Hamlin situation. I mean, we talked before we went on the on the air. You were not in Cincinnati, but just watching that and see how he was near death to where he's at now. I mean, how remarkable is it? I mean, and I don't want that to get lost in this situation either because 
I mean, that was a scary, scary incident. And I, I don't know about you, but I don't think I'll ever be able to get the, the video out of my head of just the players' reactions yeah. and just the looks on their faces and just how dire of a situation it was. And just to see him now, like, being around the team. He was at the game on Sunday. And this is really interesting. Like, I think... Like, he was up in the booth, and people were like, you can't even see him. Of course, there was a snowstorm in (laughs) Buffalo. But I think he also um, wants to – doesn't want – not that he would be a distraction at all, but I think he wants the guys and his teammates to, like, focus on football. Um, And I think that says a lot about him as well as his family. But I also think the beauty of that is that he is – getting better and and it was that ability to see like okay he's he is making progress he has a long way to go like don't i mean it's incredible where he's come and and in such a short period of time but i mean he gets winded very easily and you know there's there's things that will have we're not sure how long of a lasting impact but definitely affects him you know as he prepares for this this offseason and and i'm not even talking about football i don't know if football will be in the question for him um but you know what he went through was terrifying and scary, and his teammates saw that. But the fact that he's doing so much better now and can be around his guys and stuff like that, I think that's just huge for the team morale and what that means. And just also encouraging to see him doing better uh, holds a lot of weight. But, you know, that was, a, that was a terrifying experience. And I think while the players, you know, tried to process things in, in real time, like I think this offseason, that is going to be a piece as well for a lot of these players because emotionally that was traumatic and while the results seem to be in a positive manner it's still like that you will remember that so it's about how do they you know how do they process that in the off season but they have you know they have a lot there's been a lot of stuff that's gone on in the western new york area um so that's that is one of the reasons why this season has been so unique and that's not to be an excuse but a reason as to maybe i mean i'm gonna be honest with you there are times where i was going up to practice and i was like i am exhausted i don't know how these guys like when we had the game in detroit the game against the browns got moved to detroit because of the blizzard and like trying to shovel out and then getting to the game and then going back a couple days later yeah. on thanksgiving when they played that Thanksgiving game against the Lions, and like that game was a like that game was a back and forth battle. Like they were battling for a long time. Um, again, I was not surprised that the season ended. I was more shocked at the way in which it ended. But I think there was a lot of emotional heaviness that I haven't seen around a team in my time covering the NFL. So the one piece you think they need to fill is that the, the more receivers is going to get the ball to them more next year. <sighs> See, here's the issue. It's like you can throw a dart at a board of all the position groups, and you probably hit a position group that they would need to upgrade from um, or do something. I mean, offensive line jumps out. That was not good enough. I mean, if you were to tell me going to that Bengals game, Cincinnati was without three of their offensive linemen starters. And if you were to ask me which team was down starters, I'd be like, obviously the Bills. Like, they just were not able to keep Josh clean. It felt like he was running for his life. I think secondary receivers is a huge thing because we've we've realized that, like, while I think Gabe Davis has a ton of talent and battled injuries this year, I don't know if, you know, just because a player's has a great, you know, second-year season, that doesn't mean they're going to continue to grow. 
you know, that that's not always how it works. Progress isn't linear like that. Um, so secondary receivers, what do they do in terms of their running backs? I mean, they have 21 free agents. Devin Singletary is one of them. What do they do in that regard? Were they happy? I mean, they were one of the top rushing offenses in the NFL, but when you peel it back, you're like, oh, that's because it was Josh Allen. Yeah. It was like, you know what I mean? Like he, again, he kind of is the, the cure-all, but when you take a look at, and kind of dissect things, you're like, well, that's, your, one of your leading rushers is your quarterback. That's not exactly great. So, I mean, secondary, Jordan Boyer was huge for this team. He's a veteran leader. He did battle injuries this season. He's going to be a free agent. Like, he meant so much to this defense and just to the core of leadership on this team. He's also going to be 32. Uh battled injuries like i talked about like there are real business decisions that need to be made but um it doesn't get any easier it was interesting there was a different tone in orchard park for brandon bean's press conference yes. yesterday because it wasn't hey guys we're right there it was it was him I, I felt like he maybe felt a bit uncomfortable because there are real questions around this team and there really hasn't been in the last couple of years who do you like on sunday who do I like? I honestly, in terms of the Chiefs and the Bengals, I hope both teams lose. <laughs> but that's not a thing. Honestly, I was rooting for the Bengals and then to see Eli Apple. I don't know if you're on Twitter. You're on Twitter. Yeah, Twitter yeah. But he was chirping all about, like, I don't know. He, he was, I felt like it was a little tacky in my own personal opinion. The Chiefs, though, have been a bummer to Western New York because they've ended the Bills season two out of the last three years. Um, so you know what? I, I honestly don't, I'm going to watch the game, but I'm not, I think I'll, I'll figure out down the stretch who I'm rooting for. <laughs> I would say the Bengals, but, um, but yeah. And then in terms of like, I talked about go birds, yeah. uh, I'm rooting for Philly, but that's going to be, I can't wait to watch that game. Um, just because what the 49ers are and just the physicality that they bring, but also just, it's been cool to watch Jalen hurts and see his progression. Um, and the Eagles are, I mean, they're just fun. They're just a fun team to watch. Yeah, I was I was pleasantly surprised and happy that they blew out the Giants because the, the way they played, I know Hurts was out for two weeks. Uh, yeah. You know, they, and then, then the final game of the season against the Giants with the Giants playing their third stringers and Hurts, you know, they, they barely got by him. And I was thinking, oh, guys, going yeah. to one of those. But, uh, yeah, it worked out. Let's see. Hopefully it's going to be two good offenses, two good defenses. It's gonna, it could be a low-scoring game. So, uh, so we'll, we'll talk about that just a little bit with uh, – Damon Bruce. So, uh, Jenna, I appreciate a few minutes and, uh, tell your boss, go birds. And, uh, we'll talk obviously when we get closer to uh training camp and the regular season and uh, later this year. Awesome. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Jenna Cottrell. We'll be back. Uh, San Francisco sports talk show host and connecting Dave. David Bruce joins me to next to preview the NFC championship game. You're listening to the party shots podcast. I'll never forget the day I decided to go out for the football team. Mr. Banks, the JV football coach and my history teacher, asked me to stay after class. I thought I was in trouble. He said, hey, Darius, have you thought about going out for football? I think you'd be great. Fact is, I never played football. Fact is, I never had anyone tell me I'd be great at something. So, with no experience at all, I signed up. And a week later, I padded up. 
and was running drills on the field. I never was great, but playing high school sports was one of the greatest experiences of my life. I was accepted by my teammates, and I learned that when someone believes in you, you can believe in yourself. Encourage a student you know to take part in a high school sport. This message presented by NISFA and the New York State Athletic Administrators Association. Hi, this is Daily Gazette reporter Tyler A. McNeil. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette sports editor Ken Shaw. Welcome back to the podcast. Let's talk about Sunday's NFC Championship game between the San Francisco 49ers and my Philadelphia Eagles. Joining me to discuss the game is the host of Damon and Ratto on 95.7 The Game in San Francisco. Here is the pride of North uh, Notre Dame Bishop Gibbons High School, Damon Bruce. Damon, my friend, welcome back to the podcast. Always good to be on with you, Ken. Hello, how are you? And boy, Notre Dame Bishop Gibbons has got to raise its game and do better than that. That's for sure. <laughs> well, let's talk about this game. Obviously, uh, the top two teams in the NFC and uh, the, the team you cover, the 49ers, I mean, they have been on a roll. I mean, uh, 12 straight, they haven't lost in a long time. Uh, what is this team like? I mean, does this surprise you a little bit? Let's start there before we get into the quarterback situation. Well, everyone, I think, expected the 49ers to be pretty good this year. I mean, they were in the NFC title game just last year. So the question was always, you know, Garoppolo and how would this quarterback situation figure itself out? And then, you know, no no one was even using the name Brock Purdy. It was all about Garoppolo or Trey Lance. And, and then Brock Purdy comes, you know, out of nowhere to – turn himself into one of the most unexpected sports stories we've come across in football in a really, really long time. But the thing that changed the entire arc of this year, Ken, more than anything else, was the trade for Christian McCaffrey. Yep, that's exactly. This guy has just been the skeleton key that has unlocked the 49ers offense, which is now getting accolades you know, that start to match the sort of accolades that have been attached to this defensive unit all season long. They've been putting up a ton of points. I know they didn't do that against Dallas, and I think that just shows you what's a what's impressive about this team. It wasn't a standout day offensively for anyone. McCaffrey against Dallas had one of his least productive days since putting on a 49er uniform. Uh, you know, Brock Purdy did nothing memorable. No receiver cracked 100 yards. No receiver cracked more than six catches. It was an average day of offense, but still their defense was able to carry the day. And they're just good. They're fundamentally sound. They're loaded. They're well-coached with talent. And when you got talent everywhere and a good plan all over the place by a head coach who knows what he's doing, it's made it look like an easy world for a, you know, Mr. Irrelevant, the, the last pick in the draft to step into and, and have some success. Uh, it's been a fascinating story uh, of all the football seasons I've covered out here. This is definitely as, as unique a season as the 49ers as, as have ever had. Yeah. I mean, the, a third string quarterback usually means even if everything goes well, you're done. <laughs> <laughs> and it hasn't meant that at all. And as a matter of fact, since Brown and there's an argument to be made they're even better. Obviously, you know, I think that what really turned that game around and on Sunday was the George Kittle catch. I me. Mean, he bobbles it, hits his helmet, manages to get there, and then they end up getting that touchdown, which I, I think really uh, turned the game around. And I know the announcers, uh, uh, Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson, were talking about how uh, one of the, I think one of the veteran of the 49ers uh, was talking to 
Yeah, Purdy just yeah, one big play. It's all we need, and that that play seemed to like turn it around there. And you know, it it wasn't as elegant as the Lynn Swan catch in Super Bowl, the big bobble, but it was a big catch. You know, I mean, and 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 we learned afterwards that Kittle wasn't even in the route, and he wasn't even where he was supposed to be. He just saw space, ran to it put his hand up, and Purdy found him. It, it was the biggest play on the biggest drive, the only touchdown scoring drive of the afternoon for the 49ers. That drive was also extended by two obvious, I mean, it wasn't home cooking, yeah. Dallas holding calls yeah. where you know defensive holding got the 49ers uh, a new set of downs when Purdy looked like he got sacked on third and nine. So, uh, you know, th- things have to break your way during a, a tough game in a slugfest. That was trench warfare against the Dallas Cowboys. And, you know, their, their reward for trench warfare is another Sunday afternoon that is going to be probably more defined by the trench warfare that we're going to see between the 49ers and the Eagles. This is a big boy football game that we've got coming up on Sunday afternoon. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's, it's hard to handicap it because, you know, when, when you got an outstanding defense against an outstanding offensive line against both directions, who cancels who out, who ends up, opening the hole that the other team can't find a way to open. It's, it's just, it's going to be fascinating. Yeah. I mean, the Eagles, um, I mean, I, I, yeah, they got to the playoffs last year under Nick Sirianni in his first year. And I mean, I did not expect this. I mean, to go, you know, 13 and one at one point, end up with a 14 and three record and the talk in training camp was Jalen Hurts didn't look good. You know, were the Eagles uh, wrong not to get Russell Wilson and talk like that. I think Hurts shut the critics up for the way he played this year. He's fantastic. I mean, he, he is a legitimate MVP contender. And it wasn't just based on the record the team had around him, but his own dynamic play. And I'll tell you, one of the things that I thought the Eagles had going for them all year was how do you prepare for them? You know, how do you get your practice squad to give you the look of Jalen Hurts and Sanders and Scott and Gainwell. It's, you know, they're running an offense that you don't see in the NFL very many places, if any place other than Philadelphia. So preparing for them is is a tough thing to do. They're, they're a tough team to get ready for because they're so unique. And then beyond their unique quality is just, I mean, I, the fans don't come for offensive line conversations, Ken. You know that. Yeah. No one really wants to talk about the offensive line. The Eagles' offensive line is among the single best units in the entire NFL. They've been outstanding. Lane Johnson hasn't allowed a sack, what, two years now? I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. You know, uh, Jason Kelsey, he's going to go to the Hall of Fame one day. He is an outstanding center. So it's, it's, uh, it, it, it is. A huge matchup, and just to start looking at at Sirianni versus Shanahan, you know, I don't know enough about how Sirianni prepares week in, week out beyond the success that he's had since he's he's leapt into this league. I know that Kyle Shanahan is a master at designing the play, the pre-snap motion that finds him the mismatch that he's looking for, and it's it's what he does best as a coach. It truly is, and. I, I, I'm not 
I'm not willing to say one team has a clear coaching advantage over the other. I mean, I, I, I can't. I mean, obviously, the Eagles are very well coached. They're hosting the NFC title game, for goodness sakes. But maybe Kyle Shanahan can just dig deeper into his bag of experience, and, and maybe that carries the day for the 49ers on Sunday. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the experience. And by the way, before I forget, the Eagles offensive line, not only good on the field, but they put out a damn good Christmas album uh, back in December. <laughs> I, I, you know, I had no idea that that happened, no. and I'm going to look for it. We might be playing it on the show today. Thank you. <laughs> <You're welcome. laughs> but yeah, the, that experience, you know, Shanahan, he's been to a Super Bowl. Uh, he's been to a number of conference championship games. I mean, does that maybe give the 49ers a little bit of an edge? I mean, the only person who would demean experience would be the one without it. But the you know to, to think that it's going to be the difference maker is is also nuts. I I do think it matters. I, I think the weight of this game matters, and I guess that would bring us right back to Brock Purdy. How is he going to handle the weight of this game? It's funny he has actually played a hell of a game against Jalen Hurts when Hurts was at Oklahoma and he was at at Iowa State. Um, they had a classic where it was Iowa State going for two late in the game trying to steal a win and Purdy who threw for six touchdowns that afternoon threw an interception on the final play of the game almost and and that's what gave Jalen Hurts a win over Brock Purdy in college um you know the 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 experience does matter it matters in every facet of the world I think you know and 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 what's great about sports is you know there's also something called beginner's luck (laughs) and both of these teams have a nice sort of combination of all of that i mean it's it's uh they're just they're well built you know I, it, I i'm really happy that we get 49ers eagles because we didn't need to see a third version of eagles cowboys before we needed to see the first version of this this year and i think that these two teams meeting in this game is the perfect way to end the nfc season as a Philadelphia native, I think it just would have, would have been nuts. Uh, the sports talk shows down there in Philly have had been Eagles Cowboys. It just would have been they would have you know, blown up the transmitters at at, at that point. With talking that, but uh, I mean, you're coming to Philadelphia. The Forty Nineers are coming to Philadelphia. Brock, obviously, Brock Purdy, a rookie, he's handled the pressure so far. But we know how the Philadelphia fans are. They're you know loud, can be obnoxious a little. <laughs> and I mean, how important is it for Purdy to be able to handle that? Look, I mean, you know, w- w- it's not like a fan is going to go out there and make a play on him on the field. You know, fans mean nothing more than volume during a football game. That's all it is. So loud is loud anywhere you go. And I'm not trying to disrespect Philly fans. They're phenomenal. I love Eagles fans. I really do. Um, I think Eagles fans could be more of a problem for 49ers fans going out to the game than the actual <laughs> 49ers on the field. Uh, the Eagles that he needs to worry about are, you know, Fletcher Cox and Josh Sweat and, and you know, and, 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 and Hassan Reddick. Those are, the, those are the guys that he needs to be worried about. I don't think fans are going to matter that much coming up on Sunday. Weather will matter more to that field than, than the actual fans. And, Look, I, I, I know loud is, you know, Philadelphia brings it. This, this, it's just a football stadium. That's all it is. These guys play in football stadiums every weekend. Nothing in there is going to surprise them. Talk about the 49ers defense and how, you know, expand on how well they have played this year. Uh, I mean, they made, you know, Dak Prescott, you know, two interceptions in that game. And uh, I'm still trying to figure out what the hell that play call was at the end of the game by the Cowboys. But uh, 
you know, they, the 49ers prevented any laterals uh, on that last play. I even asked Fred Warner after the divisional. I said, you guys, you know, pride yourselves on preparing for everything. Did you even conceive of preparing for anything that looked like that? And he said, no. We, <laughs> you know, we, 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 that, that, that was not in, in, their, uh, in their pregame meeting. And, you know, Mike McCarthy put a real dud of a play out there. I, 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 I would like him to explain what was supposed to happen. Like, in his mind's eye, everything goes right. What is that play actually supposed to look like? Because I can't figure it out. I mean, when you're trying to dial up the band was on the field, you know you're in a lot of trouble as a football coach. So um, this 49ers defense, though, is just uh, – they've got the DNA of excellence all over them. you got a lot of high-round – First team, all pro, first round guys all over this defense. And then in the fifth round, they find Talanoa Hufanga out of USC, and he's turned into one of the best safeties in all of football. Traverius Ward was a great free agent pickup out of Kansas City, and he has really turned into a lockdown corner for them. Diamador Lenore, who had an interception of Dak Prescott, is the weak link, I guess, on this this defense. But being the weak link on the 49ers defense is no insult at all. I mean, there's there's excellence at all three levels. I'm going to tell you right now, if he stays healthy, Nick Bose is a Hall of Famer. All he needs is the longevity of a career. He goes to Canton. That's how good he is. Uh, just an animal. And we, he's, he's, he's been a little quiet here since the postseason started. He didn't have a sack against Seattle, and he didn't have a sack against Dallas. So he's going to be looking to reassert himself in Philadelphia. And then you got Fred Warner and Drake Greenlaw, who I think is maybe the most underrated defender in the NFL. Drake Greenlaw is an outstanding linebacker with side-to-side speed that is just it, – it, it's amazing to watch. And these guys have all played together for a few years now. Continuity is a hard thing to find in, in all of sports these days, free agency and off seasons. So you get two, three seasons together. You really start trusting each other and playing well. And, and that's what the 49ers defense, I think, is, you know, has become a special unit because, you know, to quote Bill Belichick, these guys know that if they go out there and do their job, the guys around them will do their jobs as well. And if everybody's just doing what they've been asked to do, this should work. D'Amico Ryans has done a great job as defensive coordinator. He is going to be a hot name on the coaching carousel. He's already interviewed for a couple of jobs um, leading up to the week, uh, the, the Dallas Cowboys. And um, it, you know, it obviously didn't take his, his eye off the ball because it was a, a very good defensive game plan for the 49ers who just shut the Cowboys down in every conceivable way. The game also features two of probably the best general managers in the NFL and uh, John Lynch of the 49ers and Howie Roseman of the Eagles. And we talk about both, especially Lynch. I mean, he comes, came from the broadcast booth from Fox, and I think maybe a lot of people questioned the hiring, but it's turned out to be a stroke of genius. You know, I think John Lynch does an awful lot of the legwork. He does an awful lot of the investigative reporting on trades, if you will. He does an awful lot of the back-channel communications, which I think are key to any successful negotiation these days. But the general manager of the San Francisco 49ers is Kyle Shanahan. I mean, his fingerprints are over every single decision, and he is – 
Uh, he's got final say on, on every aspect of the franchise. I don't want to say that Lynch is just some ceremonial figurehead who's handsome and went to Stanford and wears a suit well and looks good at the meeting. He's more than that. But this is all Kyle. And I think Lynch should be the first guy to tell you that, too. Uh, Howie Roseman, obviously, you know, has won several in-house wars to retain his position of power in Philadelphia. And whoever wanted to say he had overextended his welcome or got the Jalen Hurts decision wrong a few years ago, and I know there was a lot of noise about that. I mean, look at where he is now. I mean, the guy has done an incredible job setting up Philadelphia with a talented, unique roster. And it's uh, it's also, let me tell you this, when, to, to bring it back to the 49ers, it's a lot easier to be a general manager when you're not paying your quarterback a premium. Mm-hmm. And next year, if the 49ers quarterback room is Brock Purdy and Trey Lance. You're talking about a a quarterback room that's coming in under $12 million. Not just one player, but the whole room, which allows a general manager to go and spend at positions of need and maybe get that luxury item in free agency that if you've got a a, a quarterback on a mega deal, you can't afford anymore. Um, This is a problem that Kansas City is about to run smack dab into with Mahomes' extensions about to go insane. This is probably why the Buffalo Bills will be able to look at this year with the greatest amount of regret of any NFL team. Because if they were going to do it with this ultra-talented team all around Josh Allen, this was supposed to be the year. This was the last year of him on that rookie deal. And the, the, the bill for Joe Burrow is about to be handed to Cincinnati. We all know that, too. So when you have a general manager who can work an NFL roster's cap room and not have a quarterback taking up you know a, a gargantuan percentage of it, I think by default you automatically get to look smarter because you've got more money to spend. Yep. So that is the world that the 49ers live in now, but that world changes quickly. Yep. Um... I think Buffalo. Everybody's still waiting for the Buffalo Bills to show up for Sunday's uh, divisional game. I was just an awful, awful game. Just your quick thoughts on the AFC game, uh, Kansas City and Cincinnati. To me, Cincinnati, I think, is in the driver's seat. I think they are too. I mean, the, the, a high ankle sprain is usually a four to six week injury, and it's going to be a six day injury for you know Patrick Mahomes. He is going to keep going. It's amazing that he didn't come out of the game right away. Can I swear to God, I thought he broke his ankle. Yeah, you know, I thought he broke his ankle in that game, and he was staying in it due to adrenaline alone. And they told him, "Look, man, you're the franchise. We got to get an X-ray. We got to make sure." And then he goes back in there, and all the while, Chad Henney goes on a 98-yard touchdown drive in what is one of the great drives of Andy Reid's play-calling careers. And I look, I, I I think the Bengals look really damn good too. The Kansas City Chiefs have been and still are the best team in football, and I'm picking them to win the AFC title game. And should they reach the Super Bowl, I'll pick them to win that too. I, I just think that they are they're so they're, they're such a handful, week in, week out, and they've got magic in their quarterback that, that I mean, that's, Patrick Mahomes is already in the conversation of all-time great quarterbacks, and he's still a baby in this league, all things considered. So that's – he's just so special. He's the best player in the sport, bar none, any position. 
he might be the best player in sports, bar none, any position uh, in American sports right now. He is he's just so state of the art. If his ankle changes that, well, then maybe the Bengals got a better shot at Arrowhead than I'm giving them. But until they're knocked out, I, I think you know Kansas City is still the team to beat. Who's your NFC pick? You know, it. it I, I'm not trying to sound like a homer. Mm-hmm. I'm really not. I understand. I think the 49ers have as good a chance, maybe the only chance in the NFC to win this game in Philadelphia. I don't know if any other team could go in there and really make an argument that they could win it. So since that argument is available, I guess I'll make it. But I would not be surprised in one at all to see the Philadelphia Eagles in the Super Bowl. I, I wouldn't be. They've been the best team in the NFC all year long, and you got to tip your cap to that. I'm, I'm not really a prediction sports talk radio host. I'm not here to tell you what's about to happen, but I think we got a low-scoring slobber knocker of the game that comes in. Like, I'm not even – like, 17-14 could be this Saturday, this Sunday afternoon. And if it's a field goal game – I like Robbie Gold, who's never missed a postseason field goal. So there you go. He's your difference. The kicker does in the Eagles when it's all said and done. 17-14, Niners are going to the Super Bowl. I just want revenge for 2010 when the Giants beat my Phillies in the NLCS. That's all I want right now. I don't think that's available. I don't think that. I, I, I think they get to keep that trophy no matter what happens. But you know how much I like you, man. On I, I, I can't root against your interest, Kent, because I'm such a fan of yours. So I, you know, I, I won't wish you good luck this weekend. But I, I hope you have a great time, and I hope it's a great football game. It, it looks set up to be. It'll be three hours of nervous tension. I'll tell you that. So, Damon, I appreciate it as always, my friend. Uh, you know, anytime you're welcome to come on the podcast, uh, just let me know. Hey, just you, you let me know. That's how that works. Okay. You need a guest? Call the guest. All right. Thanks again, Damon. Appreciate it. You got it. All right, that's Damon Bruce. I'll wrap up the podcast. Have the latest winners and delegates because that's you pick a football contest. Offer my NFL Conference Championship game picks and have a tribute to the late David Crosby. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. What's your favorite high school sports memory? A late inning rally? A game-winning shot? A photo finish? Maybe it's a pep rally or a pregame ritual. Maybe it's the euphoria of a late-night bus ride home after a hard-fought win. Maybe it's having pizza with teammates after the game. Now, imagine if it never happened at all. School sports need your help. With budgets getting tighter, it's more than the games that are on the line. It's all the traditions, the community pride, the culture of your hometown high school, plus all those memories that are on the line, too. What can you do? It's simple. Buy a ticket when you can. Go to a game. Take the whole family. Let's do everything we can to keep those cherished school sports memories alive. This message presented by the New York State Public High School Athletic Association and the New York State Athletic Administrators Association. Hi, this is Daily Gazette reporter Shenandoah Breer. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette sports editor Ken Schott. Back to wrap up the podcast. The Week 20 winner in the Daily Gazette's You Pick a Football contest was Pamela LeBreak of Schenectady. Pamela wins a $100 Hannaford gift card. 
Congratulations, Pamela. The VIP winners were Dwayne Leach of All Seasons Equipment and the Gazette's Adam Schinder. Adam was 4-0 to improve to 186 out of 303 picks. I went 3-1 last week, and I'm also 186 out of 303. Adam and I are tied for first place heading into the conference championship games. I'll announce the winner of the You Pick'em Football Contest, and that winner's name will appear in Thursday's Daily Gazette. To play in the contest, go to dailygazette.com and click on the You Pick'em Football banner. My picks for the conference championship games, my Eagles, of course, who else would I pick, and the Bengals. Keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on how COVID-19 is affecting us in the capital region. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this situation. We appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time. If you have not gotten vaccinated or booster shot, please do so. Do it for yourself, do it for your family, and do it for your friends. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I want to thank Damon Bruce and Jenna Cottrell for coming on the show. I'll have another podcast later this week previewing Saturday's Capital District Mayor's Cup games between the Union and RPI men's and women's hockey teams. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot. That's S-C-H-O-T-T at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of the Daily Gazette company. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of the Daily Gazette company. I'm Daily Gazette sports editor Ken Schatz. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports, And I want to remember musician David Crosby, who died January 18th at the age of 81. Crosby was part of two influential musical groups, The Birds and Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Sometimes Young. He could be cantankerous at times, but he made wonderful music. He battled drug issues and was arrested and spent time in jail in the mid-1980s. He was a unique individual, and he will be missed. Here is Almost Cut My Hair from the classic CSNY Deja Vu album. Rest in peace, David. Almost cut my hair. It happened just the other day. It's getting kind of long. I could have said it wasn't in my way. Because I had the flu for Christmas And I'm not feeling up
to bar and increases my paranoia like looking at my mirror 